Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. While society makes every attempt to make our life easier, to make our life faster, my friend, God works on a very different timetable. You see, in His mind, nothing is wrong with waiting. In fact, I believe that waiting can actually be a positive good that He often uses to make us more like Him. Church, you and I have the choice then to take a deep breath and release our clenched hands and let God be God. And that's what we need to do in the waiting. We need to let Him be God and God alone. And we need to understand that He sits on the throne and He knows the end from the beginning. And we trust Him. And we go into this life and we say, God, I don't understand. I feel like nothing is happening. But I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust you because you are God and I'm not and I choose to continue to hope in your greatness and in your faithfulness. Psalms 27 and we're just going to read one verse of scripture here verse number 14. Psalms 27 and 14. It reads this. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen. I just want to talk to us just for the next little bit on this title. In the waiting. In the waiting. I was sharing with Brother Rice upstairs just a few moments ago that woke up a little early this morning and, and went back to sleep and began to have nightmares about this service. So I'm going to ask you if you would just pray with me right now. <laughs> Amen. I want the Lord's will to be done today, don't you? Would you lift your voice and let's just begin to pray. Lord, we love you today. God, we're thankful. Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house, God, to offer ourselves of worship, praise, which you're worthy to receive. God, I pray for your anointing to fall in this place. God, I pray that you would refresh our hearts, refresh our spirits, God. Encourage us today. Challenge us by your word, God. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for it all in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated today. I feel a whole lot better. I feel a whole lot better. Amen. Let me ask you something, um, and I realize we have our younger uh, students in here with us today. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you in here remember how old you were when you realized you had turned into your parents? No, seriously. <laughs> yeah, you remember, you remember the time that it like officially happened. Uh, for most of us here today, there, there has come a point or is coming a point in life where you will hear words come out of your mouth and realize in that moment that you have in fact become the person that you share 50% of your DNA with. 
<laughs> you, most have come to that point. Some are, you will come to that point. But turning into your parents is just a fact of life. I ran across a, um, a website that quizzed a couple thousand different people about the top signs that they were turning into their parents. And, and here's what some of them had to say. The first thing is not recognizing current chart music. When you realize that Endless Love is not the current top love song anymore, <laughs> you have turned into your parents. Number two, being excited when you find a bargain. Choosing clothes for comfort over fashion. <laughs> Using the restroom immediately before you leave to go anywhere. I wish Easton would learn this. <laughs> Questioning the latest fashion trends. <laughs> These are all signs that you have turned into your parents. Some of you are nodding. Some of you are scared to nod. It's okay. Be real. Be honest. Uh, another sign is when you struggle with technology. Uh, <laughs> we have an honest one here on the front row. You know, here's what some of your selfies can look like. <laughs> I love this one. When you realize you have turned into your parents, that's what your selfies look like right there. When they're out of, when they're out of focus, they're at the wrong angle. It's supposed to be up here. Everybody knows that. They even went as far as to list some of the favorite parental cliches that are used, and here's what they came up with. Number one, uh, number one cliche is, when I was your age, when I was your age, or eat with your mouth closed, or you'll understand when you're older. Were you born in a barn? No, I did I hear that growing up? Whoo! If your friends jump off a cliff, would you do it too? This is what you say when you've turned into your parents. As long as you live under my roof, you'll do as I say. And all the parents said, amen. amen. You hear that, young people? I find myself all the time laughing about some of the things that are, that are coming out of my mouth, things that I'm saying. And I'm thinking to myself after I said it, did I really just say that? But, but that's what parenting is. It's, just, it's not just you and your wife anymore. It's you and another human, possibly multiple little humans. Okay, And so it's not just the two of you anymore. Now it's just the four of us. And you say things all the time that just don't <laughs> make sense. As a parent, you find yourself saying some really wild, crazy things. I mean, how about get the spaghetti out of your toes and, and eat? <laughs> Why is there a Lego tower in the fridge? Okay? Hey, put your brother down. He's not a toy. I love this one. Where is your other shoe? Said by every parent every day. Sometimes multiple times of the day. Sometimes while you're out in the middle of the street. But that's another story. You know, you say things that are crazy, wild. No, you can't eat a sticker. 
even get really crazy and you say, what's wrong with broccoli? You realize that you're old whenever you begin to say that. What's wrong with broccoli? I said that the other day. I'm like, what am I saying? <laughs> Most of all these things are, are words and phrases that, that I heard growing up. And lo, here I am, the proud father of two boys. And I find myself saying the very same thing to my children as my parents said to me. It's funny how quickly you go from hearing it to now saying it. My kids hear me say funny things all the time, and I try to be the comic relief. I try to make them laugh. I love to make my kids laugh. It's just it's the cutest thing to see kids laugh. And, you know, but not everything that dad or mom says is funny. Not all the time. It can't be funny all the time. There are some things that, that kids do not like to hear come from their parents' mouth. And one of those phrases that is so unlike by probably every child is the phrase, not now. Not now. Dad, can you? Not now, son. Mom, can you? Not now. Most parents would agree that their children don't want to wait for anything. The last thing that kids want to hear is mom or dad say, not now. Not now. This week, our youngest will turn two years old. I know, I know it's hard to believe that I have a two-year-old. Uh, that was a joke, it's okay. Uh, but believe it, I have a two-year-old, I have a six-year-old. But we took our boys yesterday to the Magic House in St. Louis to celebrate uh, Bennett turning two this week. And uh, so we, uh, it's kind of like, we're we just like, trying to figure out what to do. We, we jump online, got great deal on some tickets, and, and we jetted off to St. Louis and, and, and uh, you know, I thought to myself driving up there, it's a cold January day. They probably won't be too busy. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. What was every parent in St. Louis thinking? It's a cold January day. Let's find an inside thing to do. They were packed out. Kids, little minions everywhere. And so Easton, he, he's just he's going crazy in there. He's running up to everything. And, and he's asking questions. Dad, what's this? Dad, what's this thing do? Dad, how does this work? Dad, can you show me how to do this? Dad, can we go upstairs? Can we go downstairs? Dad, can we do this thing? What's this thing do? Can you show me how this thing works? And I'm like, where are we? Where are we at? I'm still trying to figure out where we're at. Easton has this thing, just like most children, where when he asks a question or asks for something, he wants to know the answer right now. Right now. Not later. Not tomorrow. Not in 10 minutes. Right now. That's just how he is. This morning, he set a timer on his iPad for everybody to be dressed in their Sunday school clothes. And he came up and told me, he said, Dad, I just set a timer. You need to be dressed. I said, how long I got? He said, five minutes. <laughs> and, and we didn't make it. So he's like, you know what? I'll reset it. I'll reset it. And he, he was gracious and gave us a little bit more time. And then all of a sudden, I remember the alarm going off here in a little bit. And he goes, hey, we made it. He's like, we made it. And I'm thinking, are you the dad or am I the dad? Like, what's going on here? But he asked something and he wants to know the answer right now. He wants you to help him right now. You see, kids, they don't want to wait for anything. Hearing the words, not now, can prompt anger. It can prompt 
frustration, even hopelessness, especially in the cereal aisle at Walmart. And, and I believe that this disease, if you will, of waiting, if we're honest, it, it follows us, most of us, into our adult years. We, we may not respond with the same emotional outbursts as children, but most of us still hate waiting for what we want. And our modern society just makes it worse. We want everything done quickly. We want everything done right now. And new devices are constantly springing up to meet those demands that we have only to encourage our impatience even more. You see, we are not used to waiting. And here's the problem. The more that our technology caters to our immediate desires, the less we feel willing to wait. And as Christians, we have the same dilemma. While society makes every attempt to make our life easier, to make our life faster, my friend, God works on a very different timetable. You see, in His mind, nothing is wrong with waiting. In fact, I believe that waiting can actually be a positive good that He often uses to make us more like Him. In this process of waiting, He is developing us. You see, waiting is so difficult uh, for us because we are a people that love to see progress. We see a need and we want to meet the need immediately. We want to see something happening. And when we find ourselves in the waiting, we feel like there is absolutely nothing happening. But can I tell you this morning that something actually happens while nothing is happening. Because God is found in the waiting. It's in those moments where you feel hopeless and absolutely nothing is going on. But church, hear me today. God works in the waiting. He uses the waiting to change you and me, to make us more like Him. It may feel like nothing is going on. No work, no progress, no movement, no change but you just hold on and you wait and you trust God because you can find Him in the waiting, my friend. He works in the waiting. Something happens when nothing is happening. There's something. The story of Adam and Eve is a story of rebellion against God and once they believed that God didn't have their best interests in mind. They decided to go ahead without God and do what they wanted to do. And they became, in effect, their own God. Too often, this is exactly what we do today. When God tells us to wait, we don't trust Him. But we go ahead and we find ways to accomplish what we want to happen. The things that we want to see come to pass. We take the bull by the horns and we just say, I got this, I can do it, I can make this happen. But you see this tendency to push God to the side, it goes against His plan. It goes against His plan for you and me. It, it creates distance in our relationship with Him. It, 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 it causes us to get into trouble. 
And it brings pain that we didn't plan on enduring. Sadly, that's what most of us do though. In this life, nothing begins to happen. And God wants us to wait. But we just can't do it. And so we try to create our path. We try to force things to happen. We try to make gains that Jesus never intended for us to make. And I remember Jesus once saying in the book of Mark, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I like how another version puts it. It says, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you? The real you. What could you ever trade your soul for? Church, what good is it? What good is it to gain the whole world now? Whatever it is that we think we want or have to have and forfeit our own soul's intimacy with God, to uh, forfeit our relationship with God, what is it that we are trying to trade our souls in for? What is it that we place such a high priority on that we just can't wait for God? There are some that would say, oh, Bryce, I'm searching for God. I'm looking for God. I'm going after God. I'm not waiting. I'm searching for Him in my life. I'm searching for more in Him in my life. Can I press on your mind and on your spirit here this morning and tell you that sometimes searching is waiting? Searching is waiting on God. It's trusting that God has my best interest at heart. And even though it feels like nothing is happening, I know that there is something that is happening. God wants us to learn how to follow Him and put down our demanding selves to calm the screaming child that's inside of us. And one way that He helps us to do this is He says, wait. Just wait. He tells us those words that we don't like to hear as children, and that's not now. Not now. I know those words, we, we hate to hear them. To us, it feels like misery. To us, it feels painful. To us, it feels like nothing's going on. We want to see progress. We want to see movement. But church, that miserable, uncomfortable, sometimes painful state of silence is one of God's most powerful tools that He uses to set us free. And my friend, that is exactly what He is trying to do. And if He can accomplish it through telling us to wait and just hold on by all means Jesus tell me to wait because I want to be set free it's how he uses it's what he uses to set us free if we are willing to wait if we are willing to wait and here's the deal. You and, you and I, we don't start out willing to wait. It, it's just not who we are. 
our natural response to waiting is often anger or doubt. That's our, that's our natural response to waiting. Anger or doubt. We get upset that we have to wait, and then we begin to doubt that anything is going to happen. I get this way almost every time we go out to eat. And I hear the hostess say, uh, yes, there's a wait. And I say, wait? What do you mean wait? Wait! I got two kids. How do you think I'm going to wait over here? You know, I used to back in the day, young, didn't care and stuff like that. Oh, 45 minutes wait, hour wait. Yeah, we just, and we didn't even have like little phones and stuff like that to play. I have like this, like, I had this block phone, you know, that an antenna pulled out of it. I had like this snake game on it. Does anybody remember the snake game? Maybe I'm too old for some of you, but, you know, but there, that, I, you know, we didn't have stuff to keep us busy. Now we got all this technology to keep us busy. 45 minutes is nothing. We could read a book. We could do whatever we want to. We could social media, all that stuff. But I get that way every time I go out to eat. Somebody's like, you have a wait. We avoid restaurants that have weights simply because we have young children. And you know what I'm talking about here this morning. I get there and I, I don't want to wait. And so we're, we're told to wait. And I get these feelings of anger. Lord, forgive me. And it begins to be mixed with some doubt. And I sit over thinking, I'm never getting a table. We're never getting a table. Look, those people came in after us. They got seated before us. You know what I'm talking about. And I begin to doubt, man, they are never giving us our table. I don't even know why I think that. I got this little buzzer thing in my hand. I'm getting a table. But I'm told to wait. So natural response is anger, is doubt. But you know, I'm thankful that we serve a gracious and merciful God. And He understands our tendencies. He understands how we feel deep, complex emotions in the waiting. Especially for significant events in life. Things like maybe a pregnancy or a job. It's not necessarily sinful in itself. But here's the deal. We decide where those emotions take us. We can decide to exalt those feelings. We might act on them by taking matters into our own hands. Or perhaps we will not act, but we'll make an idol out of the good for which we are waiting. And every passing day is another log on the fire of bitterness and impatience and ingratitude. And perhaps even resentment against the God who won't give us what we want. Wait! Not now. Oh, by God's grace, we can choose to wait as He intends. One writer says this about waiting. He says, waiting on the Lord is the opposite of running ahead of the Lord. And it's the opposite of bailing out on the Lord. It's staying at your appointed place while he says to stay or it's going at his appointed pace while he says to go it's not impetuous and it's not despairing 
Church, you and I have the choice then to take a deep breath and release our clenched hands and let God be God. And that's what we need to do in the waiting. We need to let Him be God and God alone. And we need to understand that He sits on the throne and He knows the end from the beginning and we trust Him. And we go into this life and we say, God, I don't understand. I feel like nothing is happening, but I'm going to do what You say. I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust You because You are God and I'm not. And I choose to continue to hope in Your greatness and in Your faithfulness. And as we seek in this life, in this journey, to accept and rejoice in God's handling of our lives, including His timing, we can ask God to work in us, I believe, two main things. So that our waiting is not in vain. The first thing we want God to work in us in the waiting, number one, is humility. Everybody say humility. 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 On rare, very rare occasions, I get impatient. (laughs) This happened yesterday as I asked my wife to hurry up finishing her hair. How it's possible that after nine years of marriage, I have not learned to not rush a woman that is getting ready is beyond me. But but sometimes, Brother Bishop, I get impatient. I get impatient and I get upset. Frustrated over a certain circumstance. And it's in those times that I try to remind myself that God is the one who put me here. That, that this life is not my own life. You know what that is? This is humility. It's humility. It's coming to realize that you and I are just a breath and that God owes us nothing. Nothing. You go all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis and God created everything and we find where God created Adam. And the Bible says in Genesis 2-7, here's the beginning of the soul of mankind. The beginning of the human soul. And the Bible says that God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now I want you to think about that. What it's telling us is that Adam in his form was created. And that he stood before God in, in just, just his form. He was there just lifeless. Nothing going on on the inside just yet. Only... Only when after God had breathed into Adam, then Adam became a living soul. Now, the Hebrews believed and they taught that the most essential characteristic of the human soul is God's breath. God's breath. Okay? They believed that the human soul and God's breath are connected. 
Okay? Because there was no human soul until God breathed. Everybody follow? Okay. So not until Adam received the breath of God did his soul come alive. Now, the Old Testament, we must remember, is written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew mind would more easily understand the original language and what God is saying. And so when the Hebrews would teach the people of Israel, when they would teach about the soul, they would be directly speaking about God's breath. And when they would speak about God's breath, they would understand them to be talking about the soul. When they would mention God's breath, they would know that they would be talking about the soul. They literally believed this statement, that every man was living on borrowed breath. And every human being has God's breath within them. You have God's breath. I have God's breath. This is why the Hebrews then taught the power of praise. They taught that, it, that the highest office that a human being could hold was to be a worshiper or someone that praised God because they saw it like this. If God's breath gave me my soul, then I will return the breath that he has given to me to honor him. Church, humility, humility, having a posture of it's all because of him. It's all because of, I stand here because of him, and I'm going to honor him because it's all about him. Not what I have done, but all that he has done. Humility. And it has been a thought that when this happens, When you recognize that the only reason you are alive is because of the borrowed breath that God has given you. Church, when you give it back in praise and worship to God, that is when your soul finds its ultimate purpose. When we know that each breath is borrowed air, then our primary response to being a living creature should be one of gratitude. Every breath is a gift, and God owes us nothing. Church, in the waiting, I hope you remember, I pray that you remind yourself that you are living on borrowed breath. Let there be a spirit of humility sweep over you in the waiting and understand that He is God and we are not. He's the one who put you in this circumstance. He's the one who placed you in this situation. He's the one who said to wait. He knows exactly where you are at. So praise Him while you wait. Praise Him while you don't understand. Praise Him when you're confused. Praise Him when you don't know what tomorrow holds. Praise Him when you don't know what next week's holds. Praise Him when you get the report that you don't like. You praise Him. Let the spirit of humility sweep over you and say, God, I understand that I'm only alive and I'm in this circumstance because you strategically placed me. Let's be careful we don't lose the sense of wonder at the marvel of breath. If we're not careful, 
and we let that happen, the posture of our soul turns from gratitude to presumption and forgetfulness. Hear me today. We assume that we deserve to exist and that it's our right rather than a grace. And we forget that we had absolutely nothing to do with our creation. Nothing. Nothing. I refuse to have that mindset. In my time of waiting, I want to remind myself that the only reason I am where I am is because of God. Psalms 39 and 5 says, You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Luke 17, and I hurry to a close. Luke 17 says, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. We have only done what we were told to do. Church, in the waiting, remain humble. God is working. And then comes the second thing that we are asking God to work in us while we wait. And that is trust. Everyone say trust. Trust is something I believe that a lot of people struggle with. Fully aware that this is the adult Bible lesson this morning. Fully aware that the majority of people in this room are people that has lived some life. And trust is something very hard. To trust, which means we believe at least two things about God. The first is, He is powerful. And the second is, He is loving. If we say we trust God, we believe at least those two things. That He is powerful and that He is loving believing that God is powerful means that we know that he is in charge of what's happening that, that that things are not arbitrary or out of control that he is capable of both helping us and changing things you see much of our anxiety in waiting is because we forget that God is able to make all grace abound to you 
You are not at the mercy of your circumstance. You are not at the mercy of your struggle. Because church, you have a God who is all powerful. And he has a plan for your life that is incredible and beyond imagination. I can prove it to you. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Did you know that's a verse that a lot of people misquote? A lot of people misquote that verse. A lot of people will say this, exceedingly abundantly meaning it's either or he's exceedingly or he's abundantly but the verse says this exceeding abundantly you see church here's here's abundantly more than you can even imagine and then here is some more on top of that or another translation puts it like this infinitely more than you can ask or think church in the waiting learn to trust the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you and I ask or think know that he is able to make all grace abound to you know that God is able he's able you can trust him you can take him at his word why because God is powerful would you stand with me here this morning to trust God means that we believe at least two things number one he is powerful and the second thing he is loving loving Believing that God is loving means that there is a care and a purpose behind all that He does. It means that He is faithful to help us right now. And He's faithful to bring blessings later. It means that His judgment and timing is always perfectly good. It's true that He owes us nothing, yet He has promised to give us everything we need. Even during the long road of silence, God cares deeply for us. So you and I, we have an opportunity today to remind ourselves just as David did. Wait for the Lord be strong and let your heart take courage wait for the Lord some of the greatest figures in the Bible Abraham Joseph Moses David had to wait for many years for God's promises Everything that happened in the meantime was used to prepare them both inwardly as well as outwardly. Then when they finally reached their promise, they were blessed beyond measure. Church, God invites us today. He invites us to trust Him today and to know that He's faithful in our tomorrows. Right. Yes. 
If you find yourself in the waiting, I want to encourage you today and let you know He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Would you bow your head, close your eyes in this place? As they begin to sing, I would just invite you right now, if you would just respond to Him. Would you respond to His word right now? Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.